Welcome to the Business of Security Podcast, episode number eight. Your host today is Ron Warner, and he'll be talking with George Finney, Chief Security Officer at Southern Methodist University. Now let's get to it. industry need to start talking about that we're not doing today. Information technology is built on a horrible foundation. If we could sort of redo and start from the beginning, we would be so much better off. If you don't invest in it and keep it running, it will blow up. You also have to be able to go in with solutions, not just problems. We have a long way to go if we're going to win this fight. At the end of the day, educated people are really the best countermeasure against all the threats, the threats, the threats. Welcome to the Business of Security podcast. I'm your host, Ron Werner. With me today is Mr. George Finney, the Chief Security Officer for Southern Methodist University. Welcome, George. Thank you for having me on. Oh, our pleasure. George is the Chief Security Officer for a, a large organization. He sees himself as an artist, as a writer, as a communicator, as a collaborator, bringing people together. I met George through his book. He wrote a book called No More Magic Wands, Transformative Cybersecurity Change for Everyone. George, if we could lead with that, what led you to write a book? You know, so long story, but I actually, you know, I've always thought of myself as a writer. In in college, you know, I, I... uh, or even in high school, I, I you know, I wrote uh, poetry. I went to poetry slams at my local college. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've always loved doing that. And one of the things that uh, I went through in law school uh, was this uh, 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 renaissance of, hey, you know what, I, I used to do that all the time. I really loved it. Um, and, you know, after I finished my degree, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a few years and just, just time, you know, and do projects on the side and I, I, I wrote a, a, a science fiction detective novel and a couple of young adult fiction books and you know over the course of several years I, I had a lot of fun doing it but uh, in uh, 2014 or 2015 I forget uh, uh, which uh, which year I did it but I, I taught a class on cybersecurity it was an intro to cybersecurity class here at SMU and I thought oh my gosh I'm really missing an opportunity here to write about cybersecurity, right? We're, you know, we're, we're, I'm working so hard to improve the cybersecurity of one institution or, you know, a handful of students at a time. Gosh, what I really need to be doing is to, to get that message out uh, more widely. And a lot of the books that are out there today on cybersecurity focus on, uh, you know, compliance or specific technology, how to, how to do something. Um, and I wanted to write something different. But so one of the things, the, the, the way I start the book, uh, at least, is I say that, you know, we, we have this saying in security, security is everyone's job. Um, but, w- you know, wh- where I think we, we've fallen down is we, we, we try and when we have conversations with people, we, we you know, have really technical discussions. Uh, and when we train new security people, we're, we're training them to be security professionals, not better, you know, lawyers who also, you know, are, are more secure or better accountants or better salespeople or executives um, when you're an executive uh, uh, or, you know, any kind of management track person, there, there's this whole body of professional development that you'll uh, you'll go through, whether it's sales training or, uh, you know, management books like One Minute Manager or, or leadership uh, things like, you know, Stephen Covey. Um, so what I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, there, there's this whole genre of book out there that, um, you know, if, if we had something along those lines that was security-specific, um, not super technical, 
but you know enough to get someone's feet wet on hey here's what I can bring back to my company uh, to help uh, do security so one of the th- things I've said is uh, you know there's a poverty line in security right so if you only have a hundred or two hundred people in your company um, you probably only have maybe one or two IT people total right N- maybe not even any security people so I, I think you know, we have to be able to empower everyone uh, to make a difference in security. And I think, you know, that kind of outreach is, is the way we can start to do that. That is fascinating. The cybersecurity poverty line. I've never heard that before, but I think that's very well said. And I've noticed that kind of like the haves or have nots with cybersecurity. It often has to do with the size of the business or the sector of the business. Fascinating. So you wrote your book to be able to reach pretty much anybody, not only within cybersecurity, but within IT or even business. Is that your audience? Exactly. So uh, the you know there, there's this book called Who My Cheese um, that uh, you know is, is another one of those motivational kind of stories. Uh, it, it, it uses that that kind of storybook motif of um, some mice in a maze, um, and you know I I, I think that. That story approach is really more approachable to to a layperson, right? So, um, you know, it, it can't just be me as a CISO, uh, you know, giving my anecdotes and, and, and telling things. In part, you know, you know, in security, we 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 don't like to talk about our uh, our breaches, right? I mean, in some in some cases, we can't, right? We, we're under NDA, um, so you know, fictionalizing that, creating this case study of a company that makes magic wands. Um, that gets hacked, I, I think, was a way to to give that whole context around all of the different aspects of security, uh, but make it fun and approachable, and you know, you know, not intimidating, right? So I, I think that's one of the other mistakes we make in security is it, you know, we we maybe rely on fear, uncertainty, and doubt a little too much. We say the sky is falling a lot, um, and you know, I, I think flipping that script and making it uh, fun or positive. Um, I, I think is really exciting, right? If we want to attract new security people into our into our fold, well, that's how we do it, right? We we get them excited about it. We we show them you know, how they can make a difference, and uh, I think that's what motivates a lot of people in the security industry is they feel like they're making a difference, and that's re- that that that's what it's all about. Igniting young cybersecurity professionals' passion. I'm with you, George. Great idea, and that's exactly what this podcast is all about. The originators saw that there were plenty of technical podcasts, but there weren't as many focused on the business of security. And that's the focus of what we do here is to talk with folks like you about how to integrate security into the business so it's not intimidating, but it can be very efficient and functional. What do you see as the top takeaways someone should get from your book, No More Magic Wands? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the cool thing I did in the book is, you know, I had the main character um, kind of keep a running list of, of, of things like lessons learned, like you need to have separation of duties or least privilege and, and, and uh, you know, follow that. So, uh, you know, I, I would say um, I, I think the top takeaway is everybody has a role to play, right? There, there, there's no, you know, small parts in cybersecurity. So the main character um, is a business executive. It's it, It's not the uh, the security person it's not uh, you know there, you know I think I think of things in terms of like division of labor right you know so if you're on an assembly line everybody has their own job and when that's the case um, you know it's easy to you know to point your finger oh no security was 
George's job, I, I was letting him take care of that instead of um, everybody sharing that responsibility. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, the reason the takeaway, you know, is that, um, you know, the, the main character is the executive is because that's that's how much power that that has, right? If if security is adopted, you know, by leadership and made a part of your culture, um, where everybody, you know, uh, can can play a part and 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 kind of you know get excited about that, um, that's where you win. That's one of the things I really liked about the book is at the end of each chapter, you do have bullet points of the takeaways, along with a summary of what the chapter was about, along with questions. One of the things I've noticed, it's not always about having all of the right answers, but asking the right questions. So those were three things that I saw from this book, and making it that storybook approach does make it a lot more acceptable to folks who may not understand the technology as much, but they are wanting to learn more about it. In your book near the end, you talk about the top nine habits, habits to change behaviors and then to measure those that change. What are those nine habits, and is this something you're working on for a future book? It, it totally is. So um, the, the nine habits, again, were, were something that came out of um, having written this book, um, you know, I, I, I wondered, okay, well, what what else is out there? What what else can I do to help, you know, create some meaningful change? And you know, it occurred to me, you know, we're, we're you know, when we think about security awareness training, right? What do you, what do you think of? You think of that horrible, you know, ten twenty minute video that you, your company makes you watch every year, uh, and you know, most people, you know, you know, try and fast forward through it, or they. Uh, we'll just be reading their email while it's playing in the background, kind of ignoring it. Um, and, and people just don't like it, right? They, they make fun of it the same way that they make fun of, uh, you know, sexual harassment or, you know, sensitivity training or those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that they take it seriously first. And I don't think it's enough to really, you know, have, you know, significant change uh, within your organization. You're not going to create a security culture because you force people to watch uh, you know, a video every year, right? So, you know, if if that were the case, you know, watching a, a Pepsi commercial, uh, you know, could really get you to, you know, shift to, to, to Coke. Um, you know, so, you know, what I tell people is if I were to, um, you know, give you a manual or make you watch a five-minute video on how to use a treadmill, um, that's not going to lead you to work out all the time and to start eating healthy and to make healthy choices. Um, and so I, I think what the answer is, you know, well, how do you build a habit, right? And if you're going to build a habit of cybersecurity, what would that look like? Uh, so uh, I actually, you know, t- took this paradigm from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and the way that he did it is he looked at, uh, he studied a bunch of successful people and tried to distill down the success, the, the traits that made them successful. Um, and and in, in terms of those traits, right, that's something that people can, can uh, take on uh, they can adopt those same habits and become successful themselves. Um, so that's kind of the theory, right? So what, I, I, what I did is I took all the advice that we give to people uh, around how to be cyber secure, and I tried to distill that down into what I think are uh, nine habits. It started with eight habits, and I found one more, so I uh, made it nine. Um, I guess it could grow to ten uh, or, you know, reduce, uh, you know, as I think about it more. But um I'm about halfway through the book, and I'm, I'm actually doing my own interviews of different folks, uh, again, to tell their stories and, you know, through the lens of the nine habits. But, um, you know, the nine habits are essentially you start with 
uh, literacy, right? You have to have a baseline of knowledge to uh, to to understand your environment. And you know, in security, right, we're always relearning, right? There, there, you know, technology is changing so quickly. Uh, we have to kind of understand that um, you don't you don't ever know everything. So you kind of have to uh, continually like relearn your environment and have the resources uh, available to uh, to find out things when 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 you don't know the answer. Um, after you learn to read, uh, the second habit is skepticism, right? You don't believe everything you read. Um, uh, the third habit is vigilance. So, uh, you know, you apply that skepticism in, in a directed fashion uh, at where your, your vulnerabilities or threats are. Uh, be, moving on to the fourth habit, um, you need to understand what you're protecting, right? So I, I call the fourth habit secrecy. Um, I, I think of it as kind of the dividing line between that which is public and that which you want to keep private. Um, so you have to understand what, what your secrets are. You have to have controls. Um, so by this point in the habit, you've uh, done a risk register. You've classified your data, for example, uh, kind of taking that back to a more practical approach. Um, the fifth habit I call, uh, I'm calling now customs. I think I, I, I called it something different in the book. But uh, customs are, you know, the, the culture of your organization, your 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 routines, your hygiene, if you will, on specific things you do inside your organization. Um, uh, you move on, uh, the next habit I call diligence, but that's really, you know, having a cybersecurity plan, having a program, um, and, and testing it, drilling it, uh, and constantly, you know, reevaluating that plan and improving it. Um, and uh, this is the point in the habits where you start to get to the place where you, you, you realize you can't do everything by yourself, so you need help. Uh, that help comes in the form of a community and forming the habit of, you know, sharing. Um, I call community the the, the, the seventh habit, um, and the, the last two habits are, are kind of more difficult to to, to create habits around. But um, in security, we tell people um, that they need to uh, to to like Google themselves, uh, or you know, we do penetration testing. So this this habit I call mirroring. Uh, right, you need to understand what you know. Now that you become a part of a community, uh, you need to understand what you look like and what information you're, you're sharing to that community. And finally, uh, the, the final habit is deception. Uh, so, in, in deception, uh, we learn to to do things like lie when it comes to password challenge questions. Uh, we 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 try and uh, you know uh, take a, you know advantage of uh, you know social engineering attackers asking us questions. Uh, and, you know, we, we want tip-offs, right? So maybe that's a honeypot or, or some other security technology. But that's, uh, you know, in practice, you know, bringing that into practice is, is, is a really interesting thing. And, you know, that, that makes us more secure. I think uh, when you think about the, those nine habits, you know, relative to something like the cyber kill chain, um, you know, at each layer of the, the, the kill chain, right, the, the whole idea is to break the, the chain, uh, before somebody can get a sex, successful attack. And it's, I think it's those habits uh, from an individual perspective uh, that make a difference, right? There, there are other things that you can do uh, organizationally, but I, I really want to focus on what individuals can, can, can do in order to, to make a difference. And these really aren't anything that can be taught in an average classroom, but it's just developed over time as we all mature our craft and become professionals in what we're doing. I think this is fantastic, particularly as we're developing that next generation of cybersecurity professional. You can't know everything about our craft. 
So we need to have this community and learn from each other, which is exactly why we have these podcasts, to help share the ideas and give each other help where help is needed or encouragement, you name it. From this, how do we encourage new cyber or even developing cybersecurity professionals to develop these habits? How do you encourage good habits for a community of professionals? That's the big challenge, right? The you know the the, the research. So uh, my uh, my my take on the nine habits is really, uh, you know, when when we talk about security, we say we have people, processes, and technology. Uh, but as an industry, you know, just because of where we come from and what it is that we do, we focus on the technology. Uh, what I what I would suggest is that if if we want to focus more on people, we're going to need different tools uh, and and different you know paradigms to 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 to, to make a difference. And the way that you know th- those tools look a lot like psychology, they look a lot like neuroscience. Uh, maybe it's behavioral economics. Uh, maybe it's human learning theory. But you know, it, it's it's a different uh, genre, um, and th- there's not a lot of thinking in those different areas specific to uh, cybersecurity or specific to security in general, uh, other than, you know, what you would learn at like a basic kind of self-defense class. Um, and I think, you know, taking that uh, that body of knowledge that, that's really, I mean, you know, since the, you know, the 2000s, um, you know, psychology and neuroscience have really started to take off in terms of the research they're doing and leveraging, you know, computers or fMRI scans to uh, to help understand things. So, uh, you know, the, the research suggests it takes about a month, uh, for example, to build a habit. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in my program, I'm, I'm writing a, a, a separate kind of workbook uh, to go along with the nine habits. But uh, the suggestion would be, well, take a month per habit, you know, make it a nine-month program uh, that you build habits, right? And, you, you know, you, you, you grow people into that by having uh, specific exercises that they do either for the company or for themselves or for their families uh, or their church groups or whatever. Uh, but you, you know, you, you build that habit of, uh, you know, for example, vigilance or community uh, over the course of a period of time. And, you know, after, you know, you've gone through a program like that, you've, you've trained those habits and hopefully they stay with you for, uh, for the rest of your life or your career. The idea is to document what you're doing as well, even though documentation is a four-letter word I've learned. But if you just keep a a journal, I found to be very beneficial, assuming that that's one of the techniques that you use to capture what you're doing well as you're working through the habits. That that definitely is. There's actually scientific research to to lead you to believe that uh, um, when you do, uh, you know, write down stuff in a journal after, you know, a daily journal or a weekly journal, um, you you actually reinforce the information that, that you've learned, and um, it, it becomes a, more of a part of you. And you uh, you know, even if you are just writing down basic goals on what you're going to do the next day, um, the outcomes that happen as a part of that, uh, uh, just writing you know things down um, that they found you know in, in every aspect of your life uh, will make a difference, right? You know, the, the study that that I'm thinking of specifically uh, was about uh, uh, surgery patients who are recovering from, I forget, it, it was either heart surgery or hip surgery, uh, but, you know, they have, you know, the, 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 the difference there uh, when, when they had people just talk about their goals or, you know, what they were going to do the next day to get back up and walk again, um, they pushed themselves harder and they had a, a better survivability rate just by journaling, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, we, you know, we talk a lot about how, you know, you know, in cybersecurity, humans are, 
the weakest link and we talk about them as though they always will be. Um, but I don't think we have to we, we have to accept that as, uh, as a fact, right? And I think, again, if, if you want to break out of that, right, the first thing you need to do is stop saying uh, people are the weakest link because people will start to believe it, right? You know, if, if, if you believe there's a limit there, uh, whether it's sports or, you know, business or whatever, um, you won't you won't ever you know pass that limit, and I think uh, we're constraining ourselves in, in a really negative way when it, when it comes to uh, the human factor. Exactly, and that everyone can be part of the cybersecurity solution, no matter their technical capability or knowledge level. It's just that piece of diligence, as you put it. Let's take a short break and hear a success story from our sponsor, TrustMap, the business management system for security leaders. Hey, this is Chad Beckman. I just want to quickly introduce uh, Pam Broat. Pam, welcome. Thank you. Pam, tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing with the Roundtable Network. Yeah, so, well, first, thanks for having me. I, um, my background is I've been in cybersecurity for uh, 18, 19 years now, which is a long time for this um, sector. And um, I've primarily been, during that time, serving the, the CISO community. You know, so I have a really rich network of Fortune 1000 CISOs, and I've just launched my third services business last year, and it's really to address a market need that the CISOs have around understanding which technologies to look at to fight the war. There's thousands of cybersecurity vendors, and they're getting hundreds of unsolicited uh, calls every week, and if they actually ferreted through uh, which vendors to look at, it would be a full-time job. So I do that for them, and I do that in a very specific way by uh, identifying four or five products each quarter that I introduce to them in a one-on-one meeting. So I meet with each of my Fortune 50, Fortune 500 executives, I have 50 of them, uh, for one hour each quarter to present those products. And they love it, um, and it helps them understand which products are worthy and deserve to be above the noise. Um, There's a little bit more to it. I do other services for them, but that's the centerpiece. Very cool. So you're helping to really uh, sort through the noise, as it were. That's a very big topic now amongst the CISO community, particularly with all the vendors uh, that uh, sometimes have great solutions and other times they have a different spin on an old idea. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, the success of your program. Uh, I, I, you know, candidly, I'm in, responsible for TrustMap and we've worked together, but um, what kind of success have you seen and, and what's the most successful product out of your program today? You know, obviously I have two, uh, two customers in a sense, right? But my primary client is my CISOs, the 50 Fortune 500 CISOs that I serve. And I do not take money uh, from the vendors, I really am relying on bringing value to the CISOs, and when I do, I monetize in that way. So every quarter, I'm reinventing myself. So every quarter, I really do have to find four or five products or services, it can be a service as well, that hit a pain point. Because I'm having 50 one-on-one conversations every single quarter with these executives, it's fairly easy for me to recognize a product that would meet a need. Um, and then, of course, I go through a, a very rigorous process of, of vetting that solution to make sure that they can deliver and deliver at scale. 
because I don't want my executives to be the um, guinea pig, so to speak. The process is, 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 a, is a long one around vetting. And then as far as successful products, I, I have to say that TrustMap's been my most successful vendor and how do I measure success? How many of my 50 Fortune 500 CISOs said, I've got to see this product, I have this problem to solve? Over 30, so more than half of my network said, you know, you had me at hello, actually. <laughs> I do the presentation, I do a short five to seven minute presentation on each of my vendors each quarter. And I usually don't get all the way through the presentation on TrustMap because they resonate so well with the problem that you solve, which is, you know, they need to measure their program and show progress to the executive team and the board. And they're doing this right now manually. And so to automate that and make it put more rigor and consistency behind it is crucial. Actually, it's crucial to their success and their role. You know, a lot of CISOs these days, um, you know, their jobs are on the line and they have to show what they're doing um, to their peers, to their leadership team and to the board. That's wonderful. Thanks for that summary, Pam. I really appreciate it. Uh, if the CISOs want to get a hold of you, uh, or perhaps some innovative vendors out there, what's the best way for them to get in contact? I'll just suggest that they go to my website. Um, obviously, it's really easy to get a hold of me from there. My website is theroundtablenetwork.com, and you should be able to find me. Great. So for everybody, that was theroundtablenetwork.com. Pam, thank you very much for taking time to talk about your program and the success that TrustMap has had. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Remember, listeners of the podcast can schedule a free trial of TrustMap at trustmap.com slash business. Now let's get back to the show. You also bring out a very important point on communication and collaboration, the importance of us being able to write and speak and journaling is actually a great method to do that and blogging what else do you do and write to keep up your writing skills or what do you recommend for young writers young cybersecurity professionals you know i i I actually challenge myself my my uh new year's resolution last year uh was to write a blog a week and I, you know, I, I've been blogging since you know, I don't know, 2013, 2012, or something like that. Just generally about security issues or legal issues in cybersecurity. And you know, I, I think you have to do that. Uh, you know, the, the uh, if if you know if you take a writing class, uh, that they'll they'll tell you that you really need to write a hundred thousand words uh, in your in your career before you actually become a decent writer. Uh, and you know, you know, taking that. Well, you know, one step at a time, a blog is maybe 500 words, maybe 1,000 words. Um, so, you know, it'll take a while to, you know, a lot of blogs to get through that. But uh, at the end of the day, um, your, your ability to communicate your ideas it, it will, will have been, uh, you know, improved dramatically. Um, I think you'll see success. Um, there's also a flip side to that, though, because, you know, there's a temptation. I, I, I certainly fell into this trap early on in my blogging uh, career. It's easy to try and take the popular, uh, you know, opinion, right? You know, to, to take, you know, the status quo and just, you know, say what you think people want to hear, whether it's, you know, I don't know, criti- criticizing Facebook because Facebook is evil and, you know, the, the, they're, they're always going to be criticized. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, think about what what it is that you can bring to the conversation that's, that's new and different um, and focus on that instead of focusing on, um, you know, well, you know, taking you know, the trap of, 
well, let me let me you know have a a, a hashtag of um, you know something controversial that people are going to click through and you know make me popular. So um, you know I, I think there's a trap there to um, you know to not say something new or original or interesting um, just because you know it's 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 what people want to hear. As part of being a cybersecurity professional, sometimes we need to say the things that people need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. Exactly. Yep. Having those crucial conversations, which is a, another good book, or like what we're trying to do with this podcast, you bring it up. If you've read Seth Godin, who's in marketing, The Purple Cow, what are you doing that's slightly different? Because if you're driving along a pasture and you see regular cows, you don't pay them any attention. Sometimes that's good for security. Sometimes we just want to be part of the crowd. But sometimes it's good to stand out a little bit and show your original thought and thinking. Uh, and about writing and just continually writing. I had a friend growing up who actually was a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And I asked, how did you get to be so good? And he's like, I did it a lot. Yep. Practice, practice, practice. I want to switch gears a little bit with this conversation and talk about you being an attorney. It, it's very interesting. I'm almost seeing some type of a convergence, and this may be just my perception, but we seem to see more attorneys entering the cybersecurity realm. To you, where do the two careers intersect? What can we learn from each other? I, I think that's a really fascinating question. You know, I mean, when I started, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, um, gosh, I'd only ever met a, a handful, maybe five or 10 attorneys who are also CISOs. Um, and that, that certainly is, is, is changing. Uh, so I, I think there are a number of reasons why. So again, when you looked at 10 years ago, uh, the majority of uh, CISOs that were out there uh, reported to the CIO. Um, and, you know, it was more of a technical position. It was, you know, usually most of those were, uh, you know, security directors. They, they weren't, you know, really, uh, you know, seen as C-level executives. And, you know, perhaps there's an argument that, that we still aren't seen as C-level executives, but uh, I, I think it's certainly changing and we're, we're maturing uh, the cybersecurity leadership uh, profession, um, uh, you know, every year, right? So, uh, and I, I think that'll continue to, to evolve where, you know, uh, CISOs become their own, uh, their own executive in their own right, just, just you know, perhaps equal to a, to a CISO or to perhaps... Uh, report directly to a board or to a general counsel's office instead of uh, instead of to the CIO. Um, but that's requiring different things of us, right? So you know you'll you'll see a lot of CISOs now. An MBA is a requirement for the job. Um, I think being an attorney is a really interesting angle uh, on that, right? So um, the amount of compliance, for example, that 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 surrounds cybersecurity is is incredibly complex and it keeps expanding. Uh, and getting more complex every year, right? So this year, uh, we saw GDPR go into effect. Um, so you know, e you know, even if you're an attorney in the U.S., um, you're probably not an expert on uh, European Union law and how that might impact. So uh, you know, you know, global organizations. You know, if 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 you have a, a web presence and you have customers uh, all over the world, um, there, there's some com complex privacy uh, issues at, at play. Um, there, there's also, uh, you know, some complex dangers of uh, where you sh where you store your data if it's being stored in the cloud. Um, all of those things, you know, again, they're not technical issues. They're 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 not, uh, you know, how to configure a firewall kind of issues. Um, you know, you're, you're looking more at contracts. 
uh, you're you're trying to, to to navigate you know complex uh, uh, global relationships and uh, you know I think you know it's interesting but you know uh, being an attorney sets you up to uh, to naturally kind of fit into that uh, that space and to, to to actually you know have a lot of success there whereas you know if if you really only had a technical background um, you know you you might be at a disadvantage and you bring up great points that it so broad our career field and that's why i so much enjoy it sometimes we're dealing with intricate compliance laws sometimes we need to be able to talk to the techies whether the the system or network administrators being able to speak multiple languages is a skill that just takes time and as you put it maturity that we need to continually develop in ourselves and help develop in other cybersecurity professionals I'll switch one more topic on you to talking about your challenges as a CSO for a large education institution. What do you see as your biggest challenges? Then I'm going to follow that up with your biggest joys. You know, uh, gosh, the, I mean, it, I mean, I've, I've been at SMU now for 15 years. So, uh, you know, I, I, I really do love being in a university environment. It, you know, I, 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 you know, certainly have a lot of options to, uh, to go different places. And, you know, the SMU has been a wonderful place to be uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's a beautiful campus here in Dallas. Uh, you know, mostly the weather's, you know, good except for, you know, a few months in the summer. Uh, but, you know, I mean, to be able to see, you know, your customers essentially, right? You know, we've got students here on campus. Um, you see the people that you're helping, that you're protecting every day. Um, one of the things that changed for me a couple of years ago was I, I inherited um, uh, physical security on top of cybersecurity. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, that's a really awesome thing for a CISO to have. Uh, it also, you know, helps keep uh, your perspective, right? So, you know, life safety uh, is obviously of utmost concern. So that 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 kind of is is my most you know concerning thing, especially with uh, the world the way that it, it seems to be today. Um, you know, we, we, you know, take protecting our students very seriously. Um, and the, the more that we can do, uh, the, the, the better, the more, you know, and I think those, those outcomes are, are probably maybe a little easier to measure even, um, than, than some of the outcomes on the cybersecurity side, right? You know, so we, we, we know how many incidents we have on campus and, uh, you know, we, we, we know how we can protect them better and we're working to, uh, to do that. Um, so you know, I would say that's that, that's that's the biggest uh, challenge. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, again, you know, we, we we you know have talked a lot about you know writing and, and books, but being a part of, uh, of you know my mission to be educational, I think is amazing, right? So you know, I can go and speak at conferences, and uh, you know, you know, SMU likes me doing that, right? So if I were at a uh, you know another organization, you know, I might have to uh, you know you know, use a, a, a slide deck and promote the company. And, uh, you know, I, I would have some limitations on things I could say. I would have to run that by a marketing department before I could say them. Um, so all, all of those things, you know, the university gives me a lot of flexibility uh, to be able to go out and, and, and represent not just uh, the university, but, you know, my own platform of, you know, thinking along, you know, the lines of, hey, how can we make security better for, for everyone, not just, uh, you know, sell a product or service? You also mentioned the importance of communication 
and building those skills. And it sounds like that's part of your job there as CSO for SMU is being a teacher, even though you're not always in the classroom, but it's the whole university is your classroom. Am I, am I capturing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that's absolutely true, right? We, you know, we, we are, are uh, we're kind of in, in intimately uh, aligned with our student uh, uh, security club. Uh, you know, we, we've worked with those folks. I've uh, been able to, uh, while we still had a, a, a satellite campus in Plano, we, we had hosted the, uh, the, B, the B-Sides North Texas conference for a couple of years. Uh, unfortunately, we sold that campus off, so I, I'm not able to host this year. But uh, again, being able to support the community in a way that, uh, you know, uh, maybe some other uh, organization just can't because of, uh, you know, well, I guess lots of reasons, but uh, you know, I, I, I felt like that's really a part of our mission, and you know, my, my my leadership really supports that. So you love what you do. Is there any other parting thoughts you want to share with our audience here at the Business of Security podcast about how to continue your passion as a cybersecurity professional? Um, you know, when we think about uh, you know what security looks like in five or ten years. Um, well, I think I think we're probably all pretty certain that there are going to be a lot of new technologies out there that you know we can't even necessarily predict today whether it's you know the next version of AI or how that's going to apply to uh, different things, uh, the cloud, what have you. Um, you know, I, I think we also need to think about what we want uh, security to look like. And you know, one of the things you know we we talk about this uh, skills gap, right? We you know we we know that there are going to be I don't know, a million, two million jobs in the next couple of years that, that are unfilled, right? We, 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 I think we, we look at this, you know, as, as part of our mission at a university, we want to build that next generation of, of cybersecurity professionals. And how do we do that? Um, I would actually challenge uh, my security uh, CISO peers or other people in security uh, because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, we, we had this uh, more of a generalist approach, right? Uh, you know, you, you generally came to security through a couple of avenues, whether you're a network guy or a system guy or something like that. Um, th- there were more people that had more exposure. They could do uh, kind of the jack-of-all-trades role, um, and I think we need more of that. Uh, where we're at today, there's so much specialization. You know, if you're a SOC engineer, that's all you do, and maybe that you only see one or two tools at a time, you know, you, you, you know, your ticketing system and you know, your, uh, you know, your, uh, whatever your threat intel feed is or something like that. Uh, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by not cross training our employees more widely uh, and giving them more career opportunity. At the same time, um, when you look at the way job postings are, are, are posted, uh, we put a lot of requirements on, you know, whether it's, you know, a bunch of different certifications, whether it's education, um, or industry, right? So some industries like banking, uh, banking is one of the most pervasive employers in security. Uh, well, you know, they, they, they all say, we want you to have five or 10 ex- years of experience in banking. Um, that also creates a disincentive for people to leave the banking industry to go, uh, uh, to go into higher ed or retail or, uh, you know, critical infrastructure because they've built that and they don't want to lose that as a, as kind of a credential. Um, for me, I've found uh, that my recruiting has actually been vastly improved uh, by removing those requirements. So w- one of the things I did after some soul searching after 
you know, it taking six months to, uh, to, and working with a, a headhunter to, to replace someone, um, I removed all of those requirements and all of a sudden I was getting, you know, professionals that, uh, you know, had, you know, 10, 20 years of experience, uh, but they had never finished their degree. And for university, I can pay for them to get a degree. Uh, I think a lot of employers have, you know, uh, tuition benefits, those kinds of things, or will pay for certification. So why not uh, go after someone who's willing to work hard and you know, has an interest, has a passion, uh, but, you know, maybe there's some barrier there. Um, I think that's that's a part of how we can broaden that skills gap. Um, you know, again, we, you know, and we do a better job by having a diverse perspective, whether that's, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sysadmin who's, you know, interested in network and I'm going to develop that, whether that's uh, I'm hiring a, you know, a female into a, what's a, a normally male-dominated space. Um, having that broad perspective can really make a difference in improving our programs overall. Another great point, George. Thank you so much for your time today. My guest today on the Business of Security podcast is Mr. George Finney. He's been sharing with us about his book, No More Magic Wands, as well as his nine habits in developing yourself as a cybersecurity professional. Thanks again for your time today, George, and look forward to chatting with you more in the future. And thanks to all of our podcast listeners. Thank you, Ron. Take care. This concludes the Business of Security podcast. I'm your host, Ron Werner. Please stay tuned for more episodes in Season 2. Thanks for listening to the Business of Security podcast. Special thanks to today's guest, George Finney. Our host today was Ron Warner. Connect with Ron on LinkedIn and learn more about his company, RWX Security Solutions, online at rwxsecurity.com. Our next podcast features Bill Martin, Director of Privacy and Compliance at the New York Public Library. You've been listening to the Business of Security podcast, and that's a wrap.